Welcome to Esoteric America, a podcast where we tour the strange, mystical, and esoteric pathways hidden beneath the surface of America. Join Mark, Tara, Roman, Chad, and a new local researcher each episode as we dive into our country's diverse regions, states, counties, cities, towns, neighborhoods, parks, etc., leaving no stone unturned as we unravel the cult knots that tie history, culture, religion, all in with the fringe elements that you may not have realized were at play in your own backyard. Today, co-host and our friend, author and researcher, Chad Stemke, takes us on a journey through his home state as he guides us through Detroit, Michigan. huge and orange i don't know if it's orange because of the fires or what but dude it's been gorgeous you got fires out there no they're saying it's from the fires out there the ash is making its way out here is what they're saying what but well either way the the moon was bright neon orange three nights in a row is sweet we saw that we went on a night drive and saw it and the 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 trees silhouetting like the night sky and the stars and the bright orange moon yeah it was but it's not orange here and i i get out early as fuck because the dogs are always barking at the wee hours and it looks just like a normal moon so i mean the fires are closer here so i wonder i mean it can't be the fires that's that's crazy if they're saying it's well we're talking they could be but we're also talking three four in the morning so the sun's just about to come up so you know maybe it could be uh, that too. okay yeah yeah i mean there's there's a lot of strange celestial happenings right now when we talk about like the space agency peoples and stuff so whatever type of uh, yeah you know i don't even know man like they're i've been seeing way more lights in the sky past past few weeks like same spot like 20 minutes apart from each other just i'm like i'm just like i set my phone timer for 20 minutes because i was like there's no way there's no way that i can go out again in 20 minutes stand in the same spot and see the same moving light in the sky between the big dipper there's no way i saw fuck five times in a row and it's just yeah there's just yeah. been a lot more a lot more sightings lately so i don't even know because there's a bunch of planets and and in alignment and retrograde right now as well and so yeah we're just living in crazy times baby crazy times is the mars do you think mars in gemini oh, i don't know if mars and gemini has anything to do with it probably not but you know with the orange but <laughs> that wouldn't make sense mars somehow reflecting onto the moon but no mars had diarrhea for a little bit oh gotcha. yeah it was 
yeah, huh. like it helped propel it across the orbit faster because it was propelling diuretic. Oh, is that the proper term? Are you a bowel? You're studying the bowels of Mars now? <laughs> yeah, no, like a literal, like it's a fucking actual fart, and like you can hear it. Certain first, first, first Roman it. studies resident architecture. Now he's studying flatulent architecture. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Statues built by. So Neil Armstrong, okay. Oh no, not Neil Armstrong. No, Lance Armstrong. Wait, Louis Armstrong. How many? All arms? the Armstrongs. Scott <laughs> Armstrong, Podca <laughs> podcaster. I actually just put out a podcast with Scott Armstrong, podcast guy today. Oh, interesting. Whoa, no shit. Okay, yeah. crazy. Synchro. Wait, you put the episode out? Yeah, it came out today. Oh, every Monday weird. I put an episode out. I maybe you don't listen to my show, but every Monday. I don't know what they do. First of all, I live a groundhog life. Okay, I know living here do. on the farm is a literal I wake up every You're dressed day. like a groundhog right now. Look at your what's going on with your hair. That's, that's a bandana, baby. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, I thought that was like like a, like a your bangs like all like up like that. <laughs> no, no. I'm just I'm I'm getting I'm like trying to get more into my fifties fifties mom housewife vibe you know like my husband's an astronaut and yeah. just waiting for to come home taking care of the kids and the neighbor's kids and the other neighbor's kids because they all work but i'm the only stay-at-home mom yeah well hey it's 2022 so you know anything goes right you could role play you could be a 50s mom you could do i mean the glasses certainly are you are taking you back 30 decades that's for sure but here we are rolling in very slowly into this fun episode of esoteric america with just the hosts no guests today we're going to be looking at chad's home michigan specifically detroit correct chad yeah today we're going to focus on downtown detroit absolutely right on well we don't have to nice. get too quickly into it i like you know just kind of hanging and chilling and yeah, we started talking about the moons, and moons have definitely been interesting lately. I've also heard that a planet is going into retrograde for the next few months, which is a strange thing for it to be in retrograde for this long. So I guess until February, Mars is going to be in retrograde. So yeah, I don't know what that means for this show, but maybe we'll be able to channel some of those energies into this show in a positive way. That's what I'm hoping, but I think yes. Mars was in Gemini over the summer or in retrograde or last year. Or oh, was it? Yeah. Hmm. Well, well there is, there's, there's alignments. There's alignments happening right now that are, yeah, that are Roman wasn't there, but his co-host Dan was, I believe uh, Juan had a podcast a week ago and, and a guest that was on was talking about this Kaylee. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I thought. But anyway, so here we are. Esoteric America and Detroit has its own energy that is bubbling up from it. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, Roman and I have both interviewed you on our respective podcast, Chad. So maybe people can go there for a more in-depth story. But would you mind giving us a little like 101 on your interaction with Detroit? How you first 
how you first got into this type of research, you know, like what first piqued your interest and got you studying Detroit in this particular area that we're going to talk about. Initially, what got me into all this was I had a couple UFO sightings and I wasn't into anything like this. And I had a UFO sighting and it just, you know, caused me to go out and try to figure out what was going on. And the first sighting, I actually didn't tell anybody about it besides my wife, didn't tell my best friend, didn't tell anybody. And long story short, I was living in Detroit and one of my best friends happened to get murdered. And I was at the scene of the crime and let's say flipped a switch in me or something. And I was actually, I knew, or believed I knew who had committed the crime. Now I was on my way back to retaliate. And I was very close to returning, almost there, driving my truck alone. And a voice came into my head for the first time ever and literally just said, go home. That was it. Just a no tone to it. Just said, go home. And for some reason, I did. I stopped. I turned around. I went home. And on the way home, I stopped at the bookstore. I was standing in that bookstore looking for the first time at a row of books. That was the metaphysical section. I was looking for something on people who passed away. I was thinking about nice. or something. And, and a row of books fell off the shelf directly in front of my feet. And I picked them what? up, put them back on the shelf. Yep, and the last one I was putting back on the shelf, I just happened to glance at it, and it was Zachariah Sitchin, the 12th planet. So I decided, I didn't really know what it was about, but it sounded kind of cool. It was talking about Sumerian mythology on the back, so I took it home and read it, and it was about, you know, about aliens and stuff. And it blew my mind. I went out and I bought the rest of the series, read the Zachariah Sitchin Earth Chronicle series in about two weeks. And the last day I was finishing up the book, it happened to pop up on the internet that he was doing a conference in Chicago. So I hopped in the car and nice. in Chicago and caught one of Zachariah Sitchin's last conferences. And wow. on the way home, I had this experience where, well, for one, it was the first time I talked to anybody about this. And my, my world just felt different, felt amazing. And I was driving home, Bob Marley Redemption song was playing on my radio. I was blazing one. And a mist broke out over I-94, and this giant rainbow emerged. And it was as if the end of this rainbow was refracting off the concrete. The entire interior of my car looked like a rainbow. I looked in the rear view mirror, and my face all looked like a rainbow. I thought I was kind of going crazy. And I looked at the car next to me, and they're looking around, too. They're all having the kind of same experience. <laughs> and I realized we're all doing about 20 miles an hour. And we're on the highway. We should be doing 70. Everybody's doing about 20 just taking us an experience, I guess. So I pulled off at the exit, closest exit, so I could take some pictures, took some pictures and got home. And that was kind of the end of it. You know, told my wife what amazing rainbow experience I had after this conference. And well, long story short, I woke up that night from the most vivid dream I've ever had in my life. And in this dream, I was floating up towards this rainbow and a red UFO came shooting out of the rainbow, hovered in front of me and transmitted a voice. Something said, investigate the rainbow. 
in my head I heard investigate the rainbow and I woke up and it it was so real this is back in the day when these were old cameras where you had to take the camera and take it to your computer and download the pictures and I I was tired from getting home that night so I didn't put the pictures on the computer yet I got up at 3 14 in the morning went in the computer room downloaded the pictures and sure enough on that rainbow picture is that red ufo clear as day and that that was the moment that really triggered me you know investigate the rainbow over the years turned in me into me looking into the rainbow bridge you know the gateway of the gods uh-huh. and that turned into me looking into ancient mound sites native american lore and the ancient mound sites long story short led me downtown detroit to one of my favorite parks i've always been visiting so when I got down to my favorite park, I've always been visiting and looked at it in a new light. All this incredible symbolism start to emerge. And that's what I'm going to start showing you guys tonight. Dude, wow. I don't think I had heard that first part. And yeah, wow, that's really powerful, man. Maybe it was your friend's spirit that knocked that bookshelf over. That's crazy. Possible. Yeah. I, uh, I've always wondered, and I don't. I don't tell that story too often. But that that was what you know propelled me into this field. For, absolutely. The rainbow. Go ahead, Would we be you be opening the rainbow bridge right now? Maybe. Maybe. I I don't know. It's like if. If before that anybody would have ever told me I'd be researching rainbows and the rainbow bridge, I would have laughed out loud, you know, but you go through my work over the years, it keeps reappearing the symbol of the rainbow bridge. And it'll be in my presentation today. Mm -hmm. It just happens to keep showing up for whatever reason. Well, let's, Mm -hmm. let's get into it because I know you have quite a, a lengthy presentation for us and we might need to do two maybe three parts to get through the whole thing but that's all right we're gonna do it we're gonna get to it and yeah i'm excited because what this brings to is the opportunity for people who live in your area to potentially share some information with you that you weren't aware of yet which i'm sure you've combed through a lot of it but that's the point here is is eventually roman will do an episode on his local area. He's got so many that it's probably going to take a, a coin toss or something to determine which one we'll start with. No, 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 no. I already got it. I no? got it. I already started it. I have a couple slides. So next okay. is awesome. You called dibs on next. And Tara and I have our little special place here in New England that we'll talk about as well. So you can, as a listener, expect an episode about our hometowns and then once we sort of call dibs it'll feel easier to allow other people to come on because we wouldn't want someone to come on and talk about detroit before chad does or or you know new england or whatever so we'll we'll get ours our chances out of the way here and you know anyways enough enough talking for me chad let's let's get into it roman you got any thoughts before we start here good to go awesome Let me share my screen here. Okay, 
Okay, you guys seeing that? Yep. Oh, yeah. It's such a lovely background. Yeah, esoteric America slide. All right. Well, first of all, thank you guys for letting me present this. I'm super excited. I have quite the journey to take you guys on. I got 300 slides, so we probably won't make it through tonight, honestly. <laughs> but uh, once I get rolling, man, just feel free to jump in at any time. You know, cut me off because once I get rolling, sometimes I just, I'm going. So please cut me off, ask questions, you know, at any time. So we're going to, like I said about earlier in the beginning, we're going to talk about Stargate Detroit today, downtown Detroit. And my research, I always like to show these ancient slides of ancient landscapes before I start. This is the Serpent Mound, if you're just listening. And the point is that cultures for thousands of years, maybe longer, have been aligning pieces of art and architecture on the ground and correlating to the heavens, hoping to create connection points, portals, consciousness portals, ways to connect with other realms. And today, the same scenario seems to be taking place in the hearts of many of our cities, where once stood ancient landscapes, the modern art and architectures emerging with some of the same exact symbolism, in particular, gateway symbolism, portal symbolism. So I'm just showing you a couple pieces of architecture to prove the point that this is happening everywhere. It's not just Detroit we're going to talk about. It's happening in cities across the country. Today, though, we're going to talk about a plaza dear to my heart, Heart Plaza, downtown Detroit off the Detroit River. It sits in the shadow of the Renaissance Center. And there is ancient Egyptian symbolism. It's correlated to the stars, the Stargate gateway symbolism. And I like to point out right off the bat when I say Stargate and gateways, I'm not saying that in Hart Plaza, there's a literal stargate that you're going to be able to walk through and I can go visit Romy in an instant. What I'm saying is these are places where I think you can connect with other realms, past, present, sometimes even life and death. So before we get to the art and architecture, it's always important to, I think, go through a little bit of the, the past and a little bit of the history that'll make a lot of the symbolism make a lot more sense. So Detroit is on an international border. Uh, the border is the Detroit River. It borders Windsor, Canada. And from its inception, there used to be ancient mounds dotting both sides of the landscape, all the way down the Detroit side and all the way down the Canadian side. This was a sacred landscape for Native Americans across the entire Midwest. So those those little triangles mm -hmm. there are supposed to be mounds on the map? Yes, all those triangles wow. are mounds. So there's probably about 20 to 25 or 30 or so. That's a lot. At least. And that, that's underestimation, too. When you look at the actual blueprints of some of the mounds and the areas around there, there were more than that. That's just kind of, they put a couple dots on there to show you. But if I was to guess, I'd say it's closer to 50 to 75, maybe even 100 mounds along this area. There, there were a lot of them. This was a major, a major point. And one of the most sacred parts of this landscape right here was what's called Belle Isle. This was the sacred island and the legend and the lore of this island is it has a gatekeeper 
and portal symbolism. This was the home of Chief Sleeping Bear. And Chief Sleeping Bear was a demigod. Demigod, I'm sorry. And he had a daughter who was so beautiful, he used to keep her tied up in a canoe and covered with a sheet so the other natives wouldn't see her. Well, one day the west wind, as the legend goes, blew off the sheet and the canoe got loose and the neighboring island of the gatekeeper, this was the realm of the gatekeeper, he had happened to catch a glimpse of the daughter, pulled the daughter ashore, took her back to his wigwam, had his way with her, and, well, Chief Sleeping Bear found out, wasn't happy, and killed the gatekeeper. Brought his daughter back to Belle Isle, and he immortalized her as a white female deer, as the story goes. So she's known as the serpent goddess because he surrounded the island with serpents, and she immortalized him as a white female deer. Now, the gatekeeper spirit was said to still occupy the island. So Native Americans over hundreds of years would go to this island and try to converse with the gatekeeper before they went into wars. And I call this a consciousness portal. They would go there. Chief Pontiac in particular was one of the famous chiefs. He went there and spent a week or two conversing and meditating with the gatekeeper before he went to war with the British and the French. And, you know, to me, this was a consciousness portal. This was a sacred landscape. So that's the first legend of a portal. Now, you travel just down the river about a mile south down the river, and the next legend takes place at the Great Mound. Now, the Great Mound was enormous. The base of it was said to be the size of the Great Pyramid, and this was where the natives would come and bury their dead. And they would have what's called the Huron Feast of the Dead. Every seven to ten years, the natives from around the whole Midwest would come. They would bury their dead here. And that's how the mound continued to grow over the years until it became what was known as the Great Mound. So this, to the Native Americans, was absolutely a portal to the afterlife. So we have the consciousness portal at Belle Isle. Just downriver, we had the Great Mound. This was the portal to the afterlife. So this kind of brings us up the timeline, or the supposed timeline, to the 1700s when white man starts to come to Detroit. This is Antoine Cadillac, French explorer. Him and his crew, they came out of Montreal, Canada. They're looking for the perfect place to pull ashore and form the Renaissance city of Detroit. And, well, they, they see all these Native American mounds and figure this must be the perfect spot. So they pull ashore, and the first fort they build here in Detroit is they tear down some mounds, and they build Fort Detroit. And as you can see from this map, it resembles a star fort, but this was an early version of the star forts, and they built it out of cedar posts. Well, the Native Americans weren't having it, and they eventually came and they burnt it down. So a few, few years later, the British come to town. And they think, well, you know, this ancient mound site where the French had their fort looks like a pretty good place. So we'll, we'll put our fort relatively nearby. So about a block away, they built themselves a star fort. Well, the Native Americans, once again, were having it. So they burnt the British star fort down. Well, the British got wise, so they moved across the river and they built themselves an earthen star fort. Real nice looking one. And they never really used it for battle or anything. They ended up turning it into an insane asylum. So Fort Maldini, Canada, 
the Star Fort became an insane asylum. And back in De- on the Detroit side, they were building another insane asylum near the Great Mound. But also near the Great Mound is where the Americans decided it was time to build their Star Fort. So if you look at the map up top here, you can see they built Fort Wayne in the red, and they tore down some more Native American mounds, built it right next to the Great Mound. And when they did renovations on Fort Wayne back in the 80s, they actually found Native American bones within these earthen walls. So what they figured out happened is when they tore down all these mounds that used to be in this area, they used those mounds to actually build the star fort here. So wow. pretty, pretty just, sad scenario. And all that's, all that's left, go please. Can I just comment on how weird it was that they have those window boxes that they were keeping those people in in the insane asylum? What kind of test is that? Like, see how they could, like, if they were itching themselves or something? Like, what is going on with that? They're wearing, like... Some kind of Roman. Are you seeing this? Crazy. Well, I I was wondering, man, because super interesting that these a lot of these old hospitals and asylums and things like that are always put on mound areas. And a lot of times the mounds, I'll say oftentimes the mounds are in electromagnetically hot spots or on ley lines and things. And so then you look at what hospitals and asylums are. They got all these crazy experiments going on where there's a lot of heightened electricity so you know the harnessing of that because that's the other talk with the star forts is you know that they're using the sacred geometry to harness some sort of energy from the land kind of like a you know like a kind of like a crop circle in in retrospect like the shape resonates like that certain sort of frequency of the of the land or the area and so i was i was just as we were doing this i was trying to google and find like how many insane asylums are on electromagnetic hotspots and things because i uh yeah that's a it's a great rabbit hole and one of my favorite ones too i love looking into asylums my favorite season of american horror story season yeah two. must give you that sense of home too huh roman <laughs> oh yeah dude i'm <laughs> trying to find my way back it's like where's my where's my dad <laughs> some strange russian doctor in the hills oh man no i'm guilty of it too all right. Well, thanks for entertaining that, Roman and Chad. I just wanted yeah, to yeah. go back and look at this slide. Hopefully that was a temporary a place that those people were kept, not permanently kept there. But wow. Yeah. yeah. What a weird, weird thing. But it makes sense. I've always thought the you know, my instinct is like, you know, put the crazy people there so no one will d- discuss the paranormal portal phenomena that's going on because if anyone hears word of what goes on in these places, they'll just chalk it up to the crazy people in the insane asylum. Like most there's, they, they say that the, like a lot of most crazy people are shamans too. Mm, I mean, I mean, cause, cause you know, we, we all really are, but it's the people that mean like schizophrenia and shamanism that, yeah. Okay. That, and, and also, yeah. I, know, like, I read an article once that said that, yeah, people that are experiencing schizophrenia or something like that, they are, they're coming into contact with other spiritual beings hmm. and they just don't know how to channel it properly, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, like, you know, if you were 
just moving to these towns, moving to these areas, and these areas have been used by Native peoples for a long time, especially for spiritual practices or, you know, specific type of ceremonial pr- purposes. And you're having all these, like, celestial downloads. You're having all these spiritual downloads all the time. You're just like, you start waking up. But compared to, you know, the the tyrannical, you know, world of living with the the French and the, and the Spanish, you know, and the, and the New World Order peoples, you, you wouldn't know what the fuck's going on. And maybe maybe that's why like a bunch of these people were thrown into asylums. I don't even know the numbers. I'm gonna start looking up numbers. I'm also I'm also done. Chad, thank you so much, brother. This is this is way more in depth than the one you came on to rising from the ashes. I see how it is, but I love it though. Well, he's he's studied up on awesome point, Romy. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> I was just gonna compliment you and say the reason why your your oh. your presentation has been beefed up so much, and the same is true for my show too. There's so much more new information. But Roman, I mean, Chad has time when he's not on our show, so obviously he's been <laughs> you know adding to all of what he's researching i mean come on of course it's gonna he's gonna have more stuff for us <laughs> I love anyways it. I a couple things hidden up my sleeve yes sir. Roman, you brought up an awesome point man when you said you know they build these insane asylums on these mound sites and for some reason the government builds on these mound sites the insane asylums build on these mound sites and the world's fairs built on these mound sites and I mentioned the Great Mound was still left. Well, that was until 1889 when the Detroit's World Fair built, tore it down, built over it. And they actually, if you look close back here, you can see Fort Wayne, the Star Fort, right there behind the fairgrounds. Right here's the Star Fort. Here's the fairgrounds. They built this whole fairgrounds in seven years. And they actually would allow the fairgoers to dig into the ancient Great Mound. And any relics and bones in particular they found, because that's what the fairgoers were looking for. They were looking for bones to take home. They could take home for a quarter. And what remained of the mound, after they got through with digging up the bones, they used what remained of the mound to tamp down the dust on the fairgrounds. So... So everybody wouldn't get so dusty. They used sand to tamp down the dust. So you can see these fairgoers would literally be walking around and on top of the ancient remnants of the Native American Great Mound, the one sacred mound that the natives came to from around this whole region. So I'm just showing you a couple of things here that was taking wow. place at the fair. This was the sky. He was Professor Bartholomew, and he he would go up and do tricks from these balloons at this time. There's no airplanes or anything yet, so the big draw was to see people fly around. And if you paid enough, you could actually go up in these balloons here. And like I said, the, the draw was you got the bird's eye view perspective. There weren't skyscrapers yet. People hadn't been up in airplanes yet, so nobody had really had that perspective of looking down. So that's what this was all about. You could go up in these balloons and look down, but they couldn't promise where you would come down. So, you know, you could go anywhere from a couple miles to, you know, some people were landing across the river over in Canada and couldn't get back across the river, you know, but this was the big draw at the fair. So, you know, that was so someone's auntie thing, you know, went to the fair and ended up in Canada and never came home. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they eventually probably got home, but oh, like, take, no. you know they would have to find themselves a boat ride back across the river. But yeah, they couldn't guarantee where you went. You know, there was it was up to the wind that day. Damn, so, those are unfortunately uh, prolific. That was right there too. Look at those. Oh yeah, yeah, they're scary looking, man. Look at that. <laughs> but but like like Sam said on tinfoil hat, man. These people had balls back then too. You know, to get up in a balloon, take off in a balloon, not knowing where you're going to come down. That's ballsy, for sure. So um, we talked about the downtown Detroit stamping out. Mm -hmm. But there are other mounds in the area that ancient relics were being discovered in that, well, they were declared forgeries. But the Native Americans claimed these mounds weren't made by them. The natives claimed that the ancient ancestors from legends had made these mounds and dug for copper. So these are what we call the Michigan relics. And in mounds across the state, but not the Native American mounds, not the circular mounds, not the geometric mounds, not the great mound, just other conical mounds across the state. They found upwards of twenty to 30,000, possibly more of these relics. There is all clay, copper, slate. I mean, very intricate. And if you look close, the symbol here, they call this the mystical symbol, the mystical Michigan symbol. And every single relic would have the symbol incorporated somewhere on it. So I'm showing you some of the clay relics. Isn't that like the sippy bird, like the bird like that sips from the cup, that old toy that they would give kids? Kind of reminds me of that, like a bird leaning towards a cup of water. Yeah, very, very similar, very similar. That and drawing, that that, so this art piece here on the left, what is that? Like how, how old is that? Because that was incredibly intricate. This one here? Yeah. Well, the, guess it. Well, according to archaeologists, they're you know from the 1920s. They're all forgeries. All 20 to 30 thousand of these are supposedly forgeries. And the archaeologist story is that these two guys, I call them the culprits, Father James Savage and Daniel Soper, had built. And, you know, engraved all of these relics in a shop somewhere, all these copper relics, slate relics, clay relics, and went across the state of Michigan, found ancient mounds, dug into the mounds, buried the relics, went back to Detroit, and found, found witnesses to go back and dig into the mounds and uncover the relics because they had highly acclaimed witnesses with, with them all the time. And this is the time of horse and buggy, mind you. It's not like they're driving cars around. This is time of horse and buggy. And they say these guys did this 10, 20, 30,000 times, which the numbers don't add up. It's impossible. What? Plus, yeah. Plus these guys were, this was the 1920s. And I happened to find in an 1848 encyclopedia, Michigan relics first discovered. So these guys weren't even born at that point. But the archaeologist point the finger at these these two gentlemen here can you go back and one one, one more of the main so you, these okay i just wanted to look at some of this like so the one that we brought up like the page right before this and then this one here in the top left corner it's got the 
Okay, is that a little? Sorry, I, I didn't know if that little checkerboard was part <laughs> of the art, or is that a ruler of sorts to like put for size? Because I was like, well, that's a Masonic. Uh, uh, that's a Masonic board right there. Yeah, no, that's a know, ruler. That is a ruler. Okay, it's a ruler. I was like, I thought it was kind of out of place, and I was like, oh, yeah, interesting. They're just like leaving it clearly very Masonic. Yeah, yeah. All these pictures here with these rulers. These came from the Michigan Historical Museum. It took me a good two to three years of begging these guys to let me in to see these relics you see these pictures of. Right now, they're in a back room collecting dust at the Michigan Historical Museum. They're not on display anywhere. So after a couple of years, I got in there. They gave me these couple of photos here with all these rulers on them. But like I said, they say that they have the only collection in the country. They have two to 3,000 of them. But it's documented 20 to 30,000 have been discovered. And I've actually been to people's houses in Detroit that have their own collection that's been handed down through their family. Wow. So this is one collection I discovered personally called, I call it the Ted Bell Collection. You can see, you know, you got the pictures of his uncle Theodore here who passed down these relics, dug them up himself. What? You know, so the archaeologist story is is not true yeah these are all i mean look at some of these you got mortuary boxes what I mean, calendars and what are the family pieces? stories of wow the calendars are cool what are the family stories of the timelines of these actually coming through late 1800s mid 1800s late 1800s to the early 1900s now once the 1920s came along and we had the guys i told you about the culprits they, the papers and the archaeologists were so dead set against these because of the theology on these. If you look on these, they're not a Native American theology, and they're not a Christian theology. They're, they're kind of a, a mishmash, a Gnostic, a Coptic, Egyptian. Exactly. But there's no way to the archaeologists that these could be discovered in Native American mounds. So they were considered forgeries. Right off the bat, they actually had relics destroying parties where people from across the state would bring their relics and smash them into big piles. And, I mean, there, that's how many, how numerous these relics were. But like I said, to this day, this story, they're, they're still considered a forgery and a hoax. But the numbers don't make sense that these two guys could have created these upwards of 30,000 ancient relics and you know if you if you're listening to this show please take the time to look at some of the visuals because these are intricate these ain't just you know little smiley faces these are intricate relics how's that, Sphinx that box down there? and that could be that could be easily refuted you can have somebody who is an expert in the way handwriting is stylized i forget the name of the science but if you got enough of these relics together and had someone do a, a handwriting test you mm -hmm. could easily disprove that you know one or two single people wrote all this you know if you if you could prove that multiple people wrote these then that would be yeah it would make it very more likely that they were not forged which i already don't believe i don't buy that because how could you trust that but it, it's gonna take you know this story getting out to more people mm -hmm. but i mean I've heard, and I know Roman's interviewed Rick Osmond as well, but Brad Olson also talks about this. These ancient Phoenicians that came and got copper out of the Great Lakes. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's definitely an alternative timeline that this fits into. Perfect, Mark. And I'm glad you brought that up because that actually has happened. A judge by the name of Henriette Mertz, and she actually wrote a book about this after she did this. It's called The Mystic Symbol. Very important book if anyone wants to look it up. And she was a judge and a professional handwriting analysis. And she took a look at these. And right here on the bottom of the slide, I got quotes from her. She said, one peculiar thing stood out. Even though the letters may be a mixture, the mixture within itself appeared consistently uniform. Now, analysis such as would be acceptable in any recognizable court showed that the writing had not been forged. Each tablet had been written by a different hand. No two tablets bore characteristics stemming from one single oh, hand. There you go. So a professional analysis says these weren't done by the same person. And there was another analysis, did the same study and came up with the same conclusion, but also added, you know, if they were trying to forge these, It'd be very shaky. It wouldn't be perfectly consistent. And, you know, they said these are perfectly consistent. There was no hesitation in the writing style. You know, in their professional opinions, these were legit. So that's that's where the story lays today. You know, for one, even here in Michigan, many people have never even heard of these things. They've been pretty much forgotten about. And the couple people who have heard of them, they just consider them forgeries. But, you know, I'm not so sure. Could they be forgeries? Could could a couple be forgeries? Maybe, but it's, it's either the the best forgery story ever, and there needs to be a movie about it. Because it's an <laughs> amazing, awesome story. Somehow these guys pull well, you know, off. It's interesting. It's one of the most amazing stories ever. If it's not. Well, it's interesting because we're told that democracy was created in Greece and Rome. And then we're told that the idea of the Confederacy, you know, gave all these ideas to the founding fathers, you know, from the Confederacy of the Native Americans. So, I mean, it does line up that maybe these Native Americans who were here were some kind of a mixture of people who existed in North America and, and mixed with early, early settlers of, you know, from Europe, you know, Vikings and Phoenicians. And, and that's why we see like sort of a mixing of like North American and European culture in these, you know, not because they're forgeries, but because there actually was trading going on between those two cultures. I'm thinking Atlantean remnants, yo, um, you know, Right. Like if the timeline skewed, I mean, just the symbolism in yeah. here, it's like, it is such a strange style. That's like, yeah, it's Coptic. Cause you see the snake coming out of some of the, the heads here, but then incredibly almost like modern Masonic from like anywhere from within the last couple centuries as well. So yeah. But if this predates Masonry, then would it be that the Masons are well, it looks like cuneiform on there, too. Yeah, yeah. It, it also exactly. kind of has cuneiform. Crazy blend <laughs> going on here with the style. Well, it could. where yeah, were they found? Because a lot of this wasn't in books. At the time, a lot of this wasn't in books yet. Egyptian hieroglyphs weren't in books yet. Your average person couldn't get a hold of Egyptian hieroglyphs to copy down even. Yeah. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean... So interesting. I'm one thing too. I mean, just being at the head of 
the river and the head of the ports, you know, whether you want to, what you want to call the head, you know, if we're moving down south towards the Ecuador from here and traveling back and forth from Mesoamerica, you know, through the Mississippi River chain and everything and the mound building, you know, we've talked about it on the show, you know, right. And about the mounds being potential for like storage facilities or, you know, ports along the river. Maybe Detroit was like this, like headway where they came to bring relics from all over that mound building society of sorts or something like that. Like, I don't know. That's a lot. I mean, that's a, that's more than I've heard of any relics being found anywhere else in the country. Yeah, absolutely. No, the one connection that is possible is we have that the ancient, ancient copper mining that took place in the Upper Peninsula. It dates back anywhere from five to 8,000 years ago, and there's lots of copper pieces in here. There was, right. There's always that possible Atlantic. There is also, I hmm. think, up, up along the, the Ojibwe Nation up there, they would find the cowrie shells along, I forget the name of the river, where Pontchartrain is. And they don't they don't know how they got there either. So maybe like, and they were said to trade with Palladians or, you know, aliens again. Wow. So. Well, with the date, date, we're not quite at Atlantis with 6,000, 8,000 years, but Phoenicians very well could have been a culture that, would have been more in touch with their Atlantean roots. So it's not maybe necessarily as true to say that these are Atlantean artifacts, but like post Atlantean artifacts. So like Mm -hmm. people who had had kind of survived the cataclysm that struck Atlantis. And how how high is Detroit? Is Is it a mountainous range? Like how high, what's like, what's the sea level elevation that you're at? No, it's Detroit's relatively flat. See, most of most of lower Michigan is relatively flat until you get to northern Michigan and the Upper Peninsula. That's not even mountainous, very hilly. I'd imagine the Great Lakes is relatively flat. The Great Lakes are are at sea level or or a little bit above sea level, right? They're not. They're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, let's let's keep grooving through here. We're at the we're at the gates. All right. So that was uh, the majority of the ancient ancient mounds and some of the destroying of the ancient mounds and the discarding of the ancient relics. Uh, we're going to get back to downtown Detroit as they're actually going to build the city now. And this is Augustus Woodward. And Augustus Woodward was best friend with Thomas Jefferson. He was considered Thomas Jefferson's disciple. He was a Freemason and he was considered an esoteric researcher. And Thomas Jefferson sent him to Detroit after the Detroit's great fire. And the city for Detroit is we shall rise again from the ashes, just like many of these other cities. We had the great fire of 1805. So Augustus Woodward was sent out here to redesign the city streets. And this was the design he came up with. He called it his hub and spoke pattern. And he was actually friends with Pierre Lafont also. So he was friends with the designer of the Washington DC street layout. And he copied down some of his same designs in his personal notebook. So when he 
came out to Detroit and the city had just coincidentally burned down. He now had the opportunity to bring in what he called his hub and spoke pattern. So I'm showing you here in the center, this is what was going to be called Grand Circus. And in the bottom was Campus Martius. I'm just going to show you some of the symbolism that fits perfectly over this ancient map. Campus Martius. Wow. Yeah, we'll get to Campus Martius, Romy. So wow. the new Atlantis concentric rings fit perfect over this, you know, design. Three-dimensional pyramids, if you were looking down from above, fit perfect wow. this design. Templar crosses fit perfectly over this design. But more to what I think he was intending, of course, the pentagram is, you know, fits exactly twice into this map, as does the hexagram and hexagram. So... In that one map, there's actually lunar and solar symbolism that can be incorporated. But, you know, as we're looking at this map, it's a lot. Imagine 1805, the people of Detroit just couldn't quite go along with it. So this is what they ended up incorporating, the bottom portion of the map. And, you know, same symbolism oh, wow. got incorporated. We managed to work in the Freemasonic scale and the pentagram, just like his buddy Pierre Lafayette, Washington, D.C., so what I want to show you today is at the base of this pentagram street layout, that, that's going to be Campus Martius that Romy just pointed out. Martius stands for Mars. This is Campus Mars. But before we get there, what they wanted to build there was this giant pyramid, identical to the size of the Great Pyramids. But once again, Detroit wanted quite afford it, you know, so... It, it never came into realization, but, it, you know, great idea. And especially when we get further along to see all the pyramid symbolism that does show up, it's nice to know they planned on building a huge pyramid. But so they didn't build the pyramid, but what is there at the base of the pentagram is Campus Martius. And when you zoom into Campus Martius, it's the same pentagram, pentagon symbolism that's in the street, street layout. So directly at the base of the pentagram street layout, right here, is now the Pentagon Pentagramal Building. And this is actually called, this is known as the Meridian Building. This is Campus Mars. There's a giant soldiers and sailors monument that sits right out from the Campus Mars. There's this, the newest sculpture is this cause sculpture. It's called Waiting. It's got these two Mickeys with these crossed out eyes standing here at Campus Mars, just waiting for something. Very strange. Yeah, what are what are, what are those supposed it's to be? Very strange. What are they supposed to be? Like, do they have a sign in front of the statue that says like this is a dead mouse or something? Because it's clearly skull and crossbones. The face, yeah, at least, it meets Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Yeah, say the sculpture, his name is Cause, K-A-W-S. He does these sculptures all across the country, and they all have these crossed-out eyes like this. I've seen these, I've seen like a Cookie Monster one like this, where it had these big crossed-out eyes. What, what this is, is this a couple building different Mickey ones like this. This is called the Meridian Building, and this is the building at Campus Mars. Oh, shit. And this is, okay. I, on the shape oh, of wow. Mars. 
Interesting. Yeah, the building itself is a pentagram. So and, did oh, the other I mean, sculptures he's this artist has done in other places, were they in significant building places as well? Like how, how I'm wondering if he's like one of these esoteric artists that just gets paid by different states to do or different cities to do sculptures it, for them in random places. In this case, the guy who basically owns this building and runs this building, a super wealthy guy in Detroit, his name is Dan Gilbert. I believe he owns Quicken Loans. And he paid to have this sculpture placed here. Like it was, he called it a gift to the city of Detroit. And this sculpture, see, this is only like two or three years old. This is pretty new. It's one of the newest sculptures in town, newer sculptures. And so... So he's looking, waiting. They're looking over at the Soldiers and Sailors Monument, Freedom on top. And Freedom, she she looks directly down beneath her at another pentagram in stone. And this is the marking for Detroit's point of origin. And this is where Augustus Woodward put his instruments and measured the pentagram in the streets of Detroit from. So right where he made his measurements from, it's called the point of origin. They put a big pentagram right there. And I take people on tours down there. And what is for whatever the, reason, people think, well. What the gentleman's standing on, what is the material made of? It looks green. Yeah, it's like a hard, I see a fiberglass or plastic. And it actually has a map the city map so you got the pentagram map in, inside of that piece of plastic and about five or six feet below that piece of plastic there's a giant boulder that's buried there and it's an ancient boulder that supposedly has always been the sacred boulder at the heart of detroit so that's why they decided to make this point the point of origin because the sacred boulder has always been here so below this pentagram is this ancient rock about five or six feet below. It's, I wonder what the rock is made of. Is it like quartz or magnetite? Is it How the, the rock go underground? Yeah, there's no pictures of it. It's kind of a mystery. Some people say it's not even there anymore. Other people say it's there. So it's I've never seen an actual picture of the so-called stone. There's all kinds of tunnels, tunnels everywhere under here, tunnels everywhere. But so when you take, I took the tours down here and I met, this wasn't even part of my tour. Look at this guy. As I pointed it out, everybody thought they would stand on it. They could feel that energy, you know, right here at the point of origin. <laughs> so it's one of the tour spots. Now people love it. Now in if, if Stargate no one... symbolism, Stargate the movie, the Stargate symbol for point of origin fits the map also. And that's a wow. city. But you know, it fits perfect. So now I just want to show how this symbol of the pentagram, we've seen it in the streets layouts, we've seen it in the building. At the base of the street layout, you got cars driving around it that were built here with the hood ornament of the pentagram. And I know we're all familiar with Peter Shampoo and his, his biomes. So I like to point out that his biome over in Michigan is the pentagram. And his pentagram, if you 
extend the biome lines from this pentagram. They point to sacred spots across the world. Machu Picchu, Easter Island, Renzlach Chateau. But the, the reason I like to show it is because, you know, I make the point. You can scale this symbol down from a map looking down on the state of Michigan. And if you scale it down to the base of that pentagram, you're at Detroit, where you have a pentagram street layout. And you scale down to the base of that pentagram, you have a pentagonal building. Scale down to the base of that pentagonal building, and you got a pentagonal glass pyramid. And like I said, around that, you have cars driving with the pentagonal hood ornaments. So, so we're looking at portal symbolism, and go ahead, Mark. The point of origin that they ha they were standing on, where is that on the map? Is that in the circus in the center? Is that at the a different point on the map? Where is that? That is dead smack right here, and right at the base That's, of the pentagram. Okay. That's interesting too. Yep. Isn't I think the pentagram is a symbol for Venus, and Venus is absolutely the woman, and the womb is mm -hmm. sacred yeah. portal. So yeah, like the shape um, of five is like yep. the shape of the body, right? You're right in the genitals there, just right into Venus's labia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point because that, that's my next slide. That was what I was going to point out when we're looking at portal symbolism. The symbol, the pentagram, it can symbolize, you know, obviously the star, the heavens, it can symbolize the five elements, you know, the, the earth, it can symbolize the body, the, the star man with the arms and legs outreaching your head. So it's a one symbol that can connect the upper worlds and the lo lower worlds to the human body. So, you know, some people always want to say the pentagram's evil, this and that. Well, it could be, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, it does not have to be. And back to Campus Mars, just briefly, we're looking at all this pentagonal symbolism at Campus Mars, coincidentally, on Mars. There's been images sent back of identical symbolism. Here you have the DNM pyramid on Mars that's identical <laughs> to the building here at Campus Mars. And that might seem like a stretch, but as we go through this, there's going to be more Mars symbolism that seems wow. just to make its way, you know, make its way into the streets somehow. Yeah. Like, and what are the chances that Campus Mars and Mars have identical symbolism? Mars and Venus. So we're going to. Too. Yep, and Venus. When Venus makes a pentagram every, I think it's every eight years, Venus creates a pentagram in the sky. Also, so that's a definite connection. Now let's scale it down underneath this glass pentagonal pyramid at the point of origin. You know, that's the, the last place to scale it down. So, of course, what is underneath there is a giant rainbow bridge hanging waterfall oh. the largest hanging waterfall in the world and water starts at the top of this pentagram and falls down each one of these rainbow colored kites until it falls into the pool but you know symbolically speaking underneath that last pentagram there's a gateway between worlds you know just like the norris rainbow bridge you know symbolically we're talking about a gateway or portal 
And of course, we can talk about our inner rainbow bridge, our chakra systems. Wow. So I'd like to point out that the symbol of that pentagram seems to be destined, you know, for this area of Detroit, from the biome to the street maps to the buildings to the point of origin to the cars driving around it. It's everywhere. And, you know, some of it intentional. Yes, of course, Augustus Woodward, he intentionally did that. But the Michigan biome, that wasn't intentional, you know. So sometimes it just worked its way in. And that was all right here. So far, everything we looked at was in this one little area, Campus Mars. So we're going to take a journey south three blocks to my favorite place in the world, Heart Plaza. And on the way to Heart Plaza, we'll stop at my favorite building. This is called the Guardian Building. And this used to be known as the Cathedral of Finance. Here you see these Oof. two stone guardians sitting out front. And this, when I give my lectures down here, wow. this is where I give my lectures. So... Yeah, we'll give our talk in here, and then we'll go and do the little tour. And the entire building's done in Aztec Art Deco style. It's absolutely beautiful. You got these stained glass Native American angels wow. all around the building. And the, Tiffany's largest clock. Now, and we happen to see the shape of this clock... The close, once again, is the shape of the pentagram. So, the Truvian man. Walk. The Truvian man. So you walk up these stairs, beneath, once again at the base of the pentagram, through the legs, through the Tiffany's gateway into the other room, where one of the most incredible murals in Detroit is. This is the mural of Michigan. And you have a goddess emerging from a portal with her seven chakras one two three four five six seven all good kids go to heaven all in chakras ignited emerging from this portal buddy william okay, takes so, a picture of it okay so really quick just so something keep looking at that that's that is the topographical map right there of michigan she's laid out on yes and those two are yes. those two cornucopias in her arms. Absolutely. Other agriculture is that Isis, maybe. Isis, Venus, absolutely the divine feminine. Yeah. Just like Tara was saying, we, I've I've had other slides where I compare her to Venus and Isis before. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. You see some of the little signs up here. You got mining up here. Yeah, oh, agriculture. Okay. Wow. Is this a manufacture yeah, where the a, car is? Beautiful painting. Oh. What does it say where the car is? Yeah, manufacture. Okay. I think it says manufacture. Huh. What's the top right? But fishing, farming. commerce, fishing. mining. Oh, fishing. fishing. Oh. And you got the scale caduceus scale on the other one, like the Libra scales, but it had like Justice. The, Caduceus yep. snake going up there. It's a uh, pretty sweet yep. looking pair of scales. Honestly, I was like, wow, I want me yeah. instead of that room. Yes. And if we're looking at a Egyptian symbolism, you know, we 
on a lot of Egyptian symbolism. We could look at that as the Wang of the Heart ceremony too. Mm. So that's the same symbol the Egyptians use for the Wang of the Heart ceremony. If your heart was lighter than the feather, you were allowed to go through the portal to the afterlife. And that's so um, that's a you thing. Know, too, prime with, out uh, the Saint Louis marches, right? Isn't that mm. in that structure they have a yep. literal big scale? Mm. <laughs> it's like. What yeah, a absolutely absolutely so then if you go then this was the cathedral finance so you go down into the basement and they have all the ancient bank vaults and you know if anyone ever makes them to detroit this is where i give my lecture in the vaults <laughs> so it's a, it's a pretty cool place to go and have a lecture Outside the building, the top spire, the spire is an octagon, which represents a balance between the material and invisible forces. And there used to be a beautiful beams of light that used to beam from the top of this, but they're not also, at the moment. So that's the guardian building. The eight represents the, the eight winds, mm. too. That is, that is also synonymous with that portal symbolism. The eight winds coming together create like the infinity symbol, which is that zero point that opens the next realm or world too. And it also could be synonymous with the rainbow, rainbow bridge. Like the, I'm just, you know, going off my head here, but with the, the white light and through the prism, which would be, you know, earth and all these structures and creates that rainbow bridge, maybe some. Absolutely. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Optics lot. And all these buildings back in the 1920s when Detroit was, you know, booming, all of these buildings had giant rainbow colored beams beaming off the top of them. Wow. So you see some of the old, old photos, it's, it looks all worldly, man. They're just shooting rainbow lights all around the city. But in the old days, like, it's, it's pretty cool. So this is the spirit of Detroit. Now we're now we're one block away from Heart Plaza. This sits right outside of Heart Plaza. And this is kind of the symbol for Detroit. You know, you'll see it on all the t-shirts, on all the cop cars. This is Detroit symbol. Really cool. You know, they'll dress it up in a Red Wing shirt or a Detroit Lions shirt, depending who's playing that weekend. This was created by an artist named Marshall Fredericks. And, you know, you can see he's connecting humanity with the stars. You know, there's no denying what's happening here. You got a spirit connecting humanity with the stars. And here's one of his other sculptures in town. This is called Star Dreams. So... And who is celestial this artist? Any any uh, fun fun stories on this artist, Sir Fredericks? Here, he was a local teacher here in, in Michigan, and I believe it was Birmingham, Michigan. And he was a sculptor, and he has pieces all over Michigan. He has all over the world, but Michigan in particular. And most of them are spiritual or stellar. And I'm trying to think of a couple other ones you might be familiar with. In the city center in Cleveland, if anyone wants to look it up, he has a really cool one, kind of like the Star Dream one here. But he, he was a pretty famous artist. He had sculptures all, all around the world, you know. But Spirit of Detroit, you know, this is this is our symbol, our logo, and it's it's everywhere. I got a couple shirts, couple hats, got this guy on it, you know. 
Nice. But now we are across the road from Hart Plaza. This fist is pointing at Hart Plaza. This is the memorial to Joe Lewis. And it sits on its own cornerstone, as you can see, surrounded by a road. So it's its own cornerstone and this pyramidal contraption, the giant black fist of power. Here's a different angle of it. Very Masonic. You know, obviously very Masonic. Now, if you stand in a particular place, you got to stand right here on the west side of the sculpture and look to the east. If you stand in the correct place, you'll see free Masonic George Washington across the road in front of the old Mariners church. Nice. And this was done intentionally by, by the Masons. This was actually a gift from the Masons. George Washington was, and what they wanted you to see was the laying of the cornerstone Memorial. You wow. see that all these paintings of George Washington laying the cornerstone. Well, this is the same symbolism right here at the base of Hart Plaza. If you know where to stand. <laughs> yeah, they got the they got the lever and the crane set up uh, right there with the fists underneath, and it's holding up, kind of like it is acting as a crane too. Because I saw like some some ropes in there. Yeah, what a trip! What a trip! Yeah, man. And there's, there's no, no denying it. You know, no denying it. You can't. You absolutely cannot. Like even mainstream, absolute mainstream, just regular history is that George Washington. Wore the apron. He had the apron. Like he's a mason. They were, you know. So it's like you go, man. Oof. What is it? This has been such a steady climb, too. Just keep going, man. Like Detroit is thick, <laughs> thick. So while we're on the Masons, I won't get too deep into the Masons. So get back to Hart Plaza. But huge Masonic history in Detroit. We have the largest Masonic temple in the world. And this is a picture of the cornerstone. Wow. The reason I'm showing you a picture of the cornerstone is because I found these pictures on the Detroit Masons website of when they were laying the cornerstone and just how many Masons were here to witness the laying of the cornerstone in Detroit. It's a sea, just a sea of these white bald guys watching them lay this cornerstone. Yeah, look at these guys. So just, you know. So oh, man. Like, yeah. the camera too. It's creepy. Like, oh, hey. Oh, yeah, you got boys yeah, with the aprons it's, it's on creepy. the statue. What statue is that? I'm you know? not sure to tell you the truth. Nope. I don't even know if that statue's still there or not. Oh, crazy. I just was going to point out that George Washington was also in Nashville and associated mm -hmm. with, the, with the rainbow again. And he saw the vision of the rainbow, right? And he... Or no. He's oh, that's painted in, that's on in the book. That's right? in, um, oh, goodness, I'm forgetting his name. We just had him on. It was in his. Yeah, William. Yeah, William Henry. It was in William Henry's book. He was talking about on top of the rotunda, there's the George Washington writing inside of on top of the rainbow, like Odin. Inside a pentagram. <laughs> oh. What? So, yeah, so one guy who did recognize, you know, the, this big Freemasonic thing going on in Detroit was Aleister Crowley. So he came to Detroit to try to get in on this. And his idea was he was going to help him build this temple and he gonna have all the different sets of Freemasons 
occupy this temple, which they do to this day. But his set was going to be on top, and it was going to make him the leader of this entire temple, and basically the Freemasons around the world for that matter. And, well, the public wasn't really going for it. They were having different rituals going on in town. Crowley was supposedly doing sex rituals and scoring mescaline and just doing all kinds of stuff that the Masons supposedly didn't want to have a bad rap from. There's actually a book about all this. It's called Panic in Detroit. If anyone wants to check it out, it's a pretty crazy book. It's good stories in it. But the gist of me telling this story is that Crowley, not only did he want to be the leader of the Freemasons, he wanted to start what he termed the New Anna Horus in Detroit. And in the New Anna Horus, the chief deity was the Egyptian goddess Muit. And that will become important in a few minutes when we get to Hart Plaza. So that's kind of some little bit of the Freemasonic background, but that leads us all the way up to close to modern times to my favorite place, Hart Plaza, which was imagined in 1947, which is an important year by architect Earl Oh, 1947. And this is the same guy who imagined and designed the Gateway Arch. He also imagined Hart Plaza. And he had both of these visions in 1947. Coincidentally, the same year, Aleister Crowley had just passed away. But it took about 30 years till Detroit had enough money to build Hart Plaza. And they brought in this Japanese-American artist, Osama Noguchi. And Osama Noguchi came to town and built a plaza. And what he did was he orientated it and he correlated it to the Giza pyramids. And what I mean by this is he correlated several of the monuments, the amphitheater, the forest and sun fountain, and the pyramid to the pyramids. And then there's a causeway that leads to the Sphinx. Well, there's a causeway here that leads to a giant obelisk or pylon. So not only did he align it to the pyramids, but it also corresponds to the constellation of Orion. So what I like to do is go through these couple monuments that correlate to see if there's actually any symbolism. Is it, you know, a legit correlation, so to speak? So we'll start with the amphitheater. And one thing we know about amphitheaters they're transmitters and receivers of frequencies and vibration, tunes and tones. And these different parks, you'll always find these amphitheaters, and they'll be by the river most times for whatever reason. And this is the place where, you know, people go and they soak up these tunes and tones. And I like to show these pictures. This is one of the concerts they have here at Heart Plaza called the Movement Festival. And you can just gives you an idea of Hart Plaza in action. How many people are actually, you know, walking around these monuments, possibly catching a vibe off of them. So I point out here, this is actually a quote from William Henry, that music is one of the highest forms of spiritual and mythological communication. It holds the keys to deciphering the mysteries of the ancients. This is why so many of these parks have amphitheaters, sounds, tunes, or tones can trigger memories, activate emotions, and open our hearts. And, and, you know, they do. So, I think, you know, we talked about being transmitters and receivers. 
Ripping off of the keys real quick, just because it's so fresh on my fresh on my tongue. I was reading this morning about the key of Solomon and that whole like work of different antiquated magic and and such in esoteric realms. And just the word the key, you know, the key, the keystone, and yeah, like the key of music. I, I feel like every key of music is a different tonal frequency. And so when like talking in like magical terms or portal terms or, you know, terms of resonance to vibrate a certain, certain FREQ that it kind of just opened a little, little rabbit hole in my mind when I was reading about the key of Solomon and reading in these books this morning that, you know, music does, it is a, a high form of spiritual and mythological communication. It's a huge huge part of the frequency atmosphere the atmospheric frequencies that we have and experience you know and and so yeah it's just the amphitheaters man like you're right like they're always here they're always at these these sites and very very important in human history as well dating back to all the way to sir vitruvius himself that great architect exactly exactly yeah the amphitheaters aren't something new he pointed out amphitheaters are one of the most ancient structures there are so it's no surprise at how important they are at these parks too so that that's the first correlation the amphitheaters a transmitter and receiver and we can possibly think of pyramids as transmitters and receivers a second correlation to the next pyramid would be well the horus and sun memorial fountain and i point out just the name horus itself i think that's enough we can say there's a correlation that's actually horus Horace Dodge, though, the Dodge Automobile Pioneer, so it's spelt a little bit different. Now, according to Sama Noguchi, because he built this Horace and Son fountain, he said the symbolism to this fountain won't be recognized until the time is right. So hopefully the time is right. If not, hopefully we're getting close. But you can see at night this thing looks like, you know, it's from another world. It kind of looks like a UFO or something about to take off. In the daytime, it shoots out its blasts of water and creates rainbows, and people go, go down there and look like they're playing in the rainbow. This lady actually didn't know she was in the rainbow. She asked me to stop taking her picture. <laughs> but from my perspective, she was in the rainbow. I had to show her what I was doing. <laughs> but I think we can use the symbolism, you know, Horace Dodge. And his son, by the way, his, his son's name was Horace Jr. In Egyptian symbolism, there's a Horace son and a Horus the Elder, so I think it's fair that we say the Horus and Dodge fountain contains Egyptian symbolism. And just just to make sure it contains symbolism, I thought, <laughs> well, one day I was feeling thankful and went to visit his memorial of Eight Mile Detroit, and the symbolism followed him all the way to his death. This is where wow. his brother and John buried here at Woodlawn Cemetery in this Egyptian mausoleum that's flanked by obelisks, you know, and you can actually creep up these stairs here. And if you peek inside the the door, the back of the mausoleum is a giant stained glass depiction of the pyramids. So there's no question that this symbolism followed Horace Dodge. And he happened to be born in Niles, Michigan. Another coincidence, like the Niles River. <laughs> so, this, Where is Niles, Michigan? I was feeling it's a kind of southern Michigan, south southwest Michigan. 
Well, what's interesting wow. is is you have all these like alchemical and esoteric names for car companies, and then you you have one like Dodge, and you're like, yeah, Dodge, that's just a normal one. We're four, yeah, right? And then you look into these guys' lives, and they're like way more esoteric than like Mercury, you know, or or any of the other car, or Saturn, or you know, like it's crazy. This like when you true, think of true. Dodge, you're thinking of Horus, you know, you're thinking of that Egyptian symbolism. Yeah. Nuts. And then so Dodge Chrysler, Dodge couldn't start Chrysler, did they? Or they bought Chrysler at a later point. When did that merger happen? Because they weren't always, were they always the same? Started off as Dodge and it merged into Chrysler. I believe after the Dodge brothers were already gone, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I was going to say Chrysler is almost like, it reminds me of Christ or Crystal. I wonder, we have a little bit of that history, but I know the Dodge and Chrysler Speaking of the, are connected. The Pleiadian Subaru is the seven sisters. I mean, there's a, there's one. It's not oh. just American car brands that do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. And then, so Detroit, like, I'm not sure if this these are in your slides as much, but like, you know, from growing up here on the West Coast, like what you hear Detroit mainly is that it's Motor City. And so, like, it's known for having all these, because Ford was also in Detroit, right? Or no? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, cool. And Henry Ford. <laughs> Clearly, there's I mean, a lot of energy Ford, manifesting, so. literal horsepower, manpower, engine power, energy yeah. manifesting in this place. Wow. Yeah. Transportation. But... You know, so after finding all of that information on Horace Dodge and after making the trip to his, you know, to his mausoleum, which I normally would never do, and finding stuff there, I felt pretty thankful. I like to tell this story because sometimes you wonder if you're going nuts or, you know, you're on the right track or what. And after, it was literally this day that I took this picture of the pyramids in the back of his mausoleum i couldn't believe it was in there and I, as i was pulling out i actually said aloud you know you know horse man give me a sign i'm on the right path this is crazy and you know my car started to spit and sputter and i was running out of gas so th this is off eight mile a pretty rough part of town i really didn't want to run out of gas so i Pulled across the road. Luckily, there's, I think it's a mobile station. I don't know how to say no, but right across the road, there happened to be a gas station. So I sputtered into it up to the pump and I was pumping gas. Happened to glance down at the, with glance down at my foot and there's a CH there. And I kept pumping for a minute. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. And I actually, I moved my foot and it literally spelled my name in the concrete, you know. <laughs> five minutes after after i asked for a sign and you can see it's not wet like it's been there a while you know but you know so that's the kind of things that can these there are signs out there that will confirm you're on the right path sometimes dude <laughs> so getting getting back to the horse found although it's dedicated to horse dodge the shape of it highly resembles and symbolizes the Egyptian goddess Nuit. And Nuit had five children, Isis, Osiris, Nephites, Set, and Horus. So this was actually the mother of Horus. <laughs> and, you know, let's not forget that we just talked about Aleister Crowley coming to Detroit, and he wanted to start the new Anne of Horus, symbolized by the Egyptian goddess Nuit. 
Wow. And now here we had this Horus fountain, I think, symbolized by the Egyptian goddess Nuit. So did Osama Noguchi somehow pick up Alistair Crowley's, you know, ceremonies he did? Or this could just all be one of those times that this symbolism is destined, you know, for this region again. I can't say for sure. Crowley is like thick in the consciousness, man. Like when I dug into Crowley before and was going pretty deep on a lot of this stuff and he popped into my dreams. I had some like crazy dreams and yeah, he was attached to the back of a guy's neck and was like, because this thing is like, they said that Crowley could transport to America, but he was like, sometimes not here or whatever, especially when he was in his later in his life, all drugged out. Like he was, he's known to be like a shapeshifter and shit. So you're saying he actual projected to America. Yeah, I swear. Yeah. That those are, those are some lords behind Sir Crowley. So one of the stories, that's why you brought one of the stories in Detroit is that when he was in Detroit, he used to wear this big black trench coat. And he would whip the trench coat up over his head, over his face, and he thought he was invisible when he did this. <laughs> so he would go in places and, and whip it up like he needed. But everybody would be like, "Man, we can see you, Crowley. We can see you." But that's one of the big stories that made it in the newspaper that he would go in places and act invisible, and everybody would kind of make fun of him. <laughs> that reminds me of Grandma's Boy. You guys remember that movie? That's exactly yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't. I was thinking when I when I saw knew it, I'm thinking of like the the ice that supposedly was in the atmosphere, like an egg, like the Earth, like kind of was in this like egg state, and like you mm-hmm. look at that picture mm-hmm. of the Egyptian people underneath knew it. It's almost like a like a bubble or something or a dome oh you know the ice dome that melted she is supposed to (laughs) yeah she's supposed to symbolize the sky and geb or her husband or the people underneath are supposed to symbolize the mounds or the primordial mounds or the earth okay okay and yeah, I knew it's yeah, and if you look at the fountain, it kind of looks like it's a, it looks like it's water pouring into a mound, kinda. So you know, mm. for sure. So those are the first two correlations: the amphitheater, the horse and sun fountain, and to the third pyramid. There's actually a pyramid there. You know, you don't got to look for much symbolism. There's signs pointing to it It's this way to the pyramid. So there's an actual ziggurat step pyramid right where we're trying to correlate to another pyramid. And where the causeway would lead to the Sphinx, here there's a causeway that leads to this giant pylon. It's 120 foot tall, looks like a transmitter receiver, and it sits right at the entrance to the plaza. This was done by Asama Noguchi, too. He said it represents both DNA and also our relationship to the atmosphere, to the wind, and to space flight. So this guy, Asama Noguchi, you know, he was 
he was kind of next level. You know, obviously he came here and he built this plaza, correlated it, orientated it, and then built these monuments in it. So, you know, the big question is, did he do this intentionally and not tell anyone? Because he never told anyone, I'm building a plaza, I'm going to correlate it to the Giza pyramids and the constellation of Orion and put all this Egyptian symbolism in it. He did say people will recognize it when the time's right. So I always ask the question, was this intentional and he didn't mention it? Or was this subconscious? Well, as far as intentional, he had just returned from Egypt. This is him and his wife in Egypt on a two-year sojourn where he said his intentions were to learn about the Egyptians and the relationships they had with their temples. Then he came back to Har Plaza and, you know, he built this cosmic temple. But was it intentional? Or did he possibly tap into something while he was here? And that sounds out there. I totally understand that. It sounds crazy. But I bring that up because of another project he proposed to do back in the year 1947 again. Oh, God. And this yeah. was going to be known as the face to be seen from Mars. And what he wanted to do was build this giant earthwork, two miles long by a mile wide, have a pillar of a nose a mile tall that was going to look like a face. And you'd only be able to recognize that face if you were as far away as the moon or Mars, hence the name face to be seen from Mars. And he wanted to build this because this is 1947. He's a Japanese American and we're dropping nuclear bombs. He's afraid we're going to destroy the world. He wants to let extraterrestrial civilization know that at one time there was a civilized race here on earth. So, you know, pretty crazy idea, but it becomes weird when 30 years later, NASA sends back images on Mars, what looks like a face. Identical, you know, symbolically to Noguchi's. So there's a face on Mars, and then there's a face to be seen from Mars. So it makes me wonder, did Noguchi somehow tap into this information? And other people came up with this face on Mars. Also, a comic book artist, Jack Kirby, this in some of his comic books, has the face to be seen from Mars. So, you know, I point uh, out, I'm, I'm this been intentional, and he just won. Was there anybody, like, did you find on your research who he was getting this funding from? Like, who who funds these artists just to get to make these sculptures and things? Like, is it because I'm wondering, you know, may, you know, follow the money. Maybe we could find some answers to him being, like, tapped into a secret society of sorts or something like that. Yeah, what they do. And is they have contests and they will have in the Gucci's case, I want to say they had 30 guys come down and they'll have a contest and they'll have all the artists come and walk around the piece of real estate where they're going to do their design and literally try to get a feel for what would fit in with the surroundings. And then, you know, whoever comes up with the best plans, wins the commission and time and time again they you know we haven't got to the stargate yet but they had the same thing they'll have this contest and they'll have in this case of the stargate they had 120 guys come down and whoever comes up with the best plan that fits in and in that case it was a stargate that happened to fit in with the Naguchi's plaza you know they'll win the commission so i guess 
that's one that's one aspect I've never looked at, you guys. You know, I've never looked at who put on the contest. You know, I got back as far as you know the contest, but I've never looked at who put the contest on. So maybe that's something we can start looking into a little bit. Yeah, man. I I just say that because I'm like, you know, yeah. What's what's the next step? Because I'm like, where did the money come from? Why do these? But if it is as far, if it is something as basic or simple as just city planning, and most of the esotericism comes from the artist itself, then that's not as fun as you know. But if well, I from, think I think it's a it's a in the know kind of thing, like certain artists are hinting at concepts that people in the know trend you know they trend because yeah, yeah they're recognizing you know most people recognize who are also in the know i mean it doesn't always it's not always true for every single art but i think with like all of these freemasons and other people who are you know interested in this stuff but behind closed doors this is one way for them to sort of flaunt what they're really interested in because think about it you know everybody wants to go and show out like get their big fancy lamborghini or when they have money right so if you're one of these esoteric rich guys you don't flaunt your money with you know a lamborghini you flaunt it with some crazy you know plaza that lives on for thousands of years you know like that's how these people think they're not thinking of like temporary you know show yeah. showboating they're, they're creating things that are going to be remembered i mean in a lot of cases seems like like dodge right this guy horace dodge he made a lot of people money so like he's going to become somebody who gets like you know what's the word deified meanwhile like the person who commissioned it you know maybe they weren't nobody remembers them but their kind of their energy is is transferred on through their remembrance of this other person for sure yeah yeah man hiding because that's the thing so half the time we'll never know who was behind the bit you know behind the scenes at the time but that's the most esoteric of it all well, you guys you guys are getting me interested in reading this book that i just because we mentioned crowley earlier i wonder if they talk about his time in detroit i've got this book crowley in america i've only read little nice. pieces of it but but yeah i haven't come across the detroit part yet but yeah this is so this is a portal what are we looking at here with this odd paperclip looking <laughs> thing <laughs> Yeah, this is actually in Cleveland. And the reason I'm showing this is before Osama Noguchi came to Detroit, he didn't really do any portal symbolism or stellar symbolism or before Egypt in that matter. But once he left Detroit, his, he went to Cleveland. He created this. He created the portal. That's what it's called. And then he went to Hawaii and he created what he called the Sky Gate. He said it's a symbolic gateway to outer space, a gateway to the cosmos. So when he left Detroit, he had portals and gateways on his mind. Like, no no question about it. His next several monuments were portals and gateways. So that's kind of where Osama Noguchi leaves the scene. He, he leaves us with, well, recognize his symbolism when the time is right. He leaves town creating portals and gateways. And leaves us with the plaza correlated to the stars and the pyramids. And that's in the 70s. We really haven't got into yet what even got me interested in all this, which is the stargates and all the gateway symbolism. 
None of that emerges until 2001 on Detroit's tricentennial, its 300th birthday. I call it the emergence of the gates. Wow. And all this, was really just a pri- this was just a primer. Yeah, this was just a primer for a place to put all this gateway symbolism. So I think I'll save that. Maybe I'll save that for next week. Oh, there you go. For you guys. That's, actually great. That's actually a good save. idea. We've gone. I'll save that for next today. week. I'll give you just a look, a couple little glimpses. We're going to look at the Stargate next week. Sounds good. We'll look at, let's see. We'll look at professional sports players saying they're coming through the Stargate. We'll look at the Great Lakes Triangle. <clears throat> Bunch of missing people. UFOs, missing ships. Yes. And we'll get to the good yes. stuff. We'll, go, we'll do some dog mad. We'll yes. do some water panthers and some thunderbirds. Yeah. We'll get into some underwater anomalies. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Save all that for next week. All right. Wow. Well, I asked for a cliffhanger and I think we got one. The 300th birthday. In 2001, and we just, yesterday was the 21st anniversary of 9-11, which happened in 2001. It was certainly a monumental year in a lot of ways, good and bad. But wow. Well, yeah, this is... Uh, Let me say something real go quick. Ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You just mentioned the 2001 anniversary. So I'm going to just bring this up. If you look through the transcending gateway as it's being built right here in 2001, the building you're looking at, that's the template for the World Trade Centers. Minaro Yamasaki came to Detroit and built that white building to see if his plans for the trade centers would hold up. Here we have a transcending monument being built in 2001, about Wait. the same time the trade centers are coming down. You tell me Osama Noguchi planned the design for the World Trade Centers? Manaro Yamasaki. Oh, okay. Different, different Japanese and But right next to each other, though. Wow. In Detroit, they have two, two things right next to each other. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that takes yeah. it to a whole other level. Yeah, that's interesting. I know that architects will do that. Like when I was living in Portland, there's this really beautiful bridge called the St. John's Bridge over in the north part of town. That's like they call it Portland Bridge City, which I think they call multiple other cities Bridge City as well. <laughs> but there's a lot of bridges there. And then one of the most spectacular bridges isn't even in like the downtown part of Portland, but it's up in the northern part. And it's apparently exactly one fifth the size of the Golden Gate Bridge. And the guy who built the Golden Gate Bridge built a template model in Portland and it's funny that they do that, you know, they'll take like these big grand ideas and then build them on a smaller scale and then go build the real ones somewhere else. But I wonder, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Wow. What a cliffhanger, dude. What a, what a great, freaking awesome time that was. That flew by. Two hours just flew by. Oh, it's only been an hour 40, but yeah, two hours almost. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but still, I think this is, yeah, a good place to to stop unless we have some questions for for chad here not that 
we need to rush, we could always wait until the next segment. I like the way we're doing this because, you know, we've had many different guests at this point in time. And we've had guests take a couple different approaches. And I think what's cool about having someone with your expertise, Chad, taking us through multiple different segments of this you know, really stacked area, it gives people a little more leeway. Like some people are going to focus more on the ancient history. Some people are going to focus more on the paranormal folklore. Some people are going to focus on the architecture. You know, don't overwhelm yourself. If you want to be a guest on this show, you know, just two of those portions is good enough. You know, if you take a whack at it, you know, each episode's about an hour and a half to two hours long. And and, you know, with how many slides do you have, Chad, like an expert like yourself with 300 slides, how many did we get through today? I think 150, 160. Right. So, and that's because you've probably presented many, many times, but, you know, don't overwhelm yourselves, <laughs> folks. Like Chad <laughs> has done this before. He's a pro. We don't expect everyone who's going to be a guest on this show to have that many slides. Um you know, just 20 to 50, I think is a good range, you know, and, and get, if you get crazy and get a hundred, 200, maybe we'll have you back for part two. Obviously, Chad, we're going to have you back for part two next week. And uh, yeah, I was thinking we should do an episode on Hawaii at some point. I don't know. There's some, for some reason, like in one week, like all of my friends and podcast people I know from Hawaii hit me up. So I'm like, maybe we do like a Hawaii group show. So if anyone listening Let's do is on the big island and they want to participate, we might do like a big island, big group show because I don't know. It just feels right for a place like Hawaii. Shirts? And Tara um, spent a lot of time there yeah. too. So. I'm wearing my Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> oh, right on. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Chad for picking up the merch and being such an awesome supporter uh, of everything I do because that that really helps when people pick up the merch and that's not the only that's a, not even the first thing you've picked up it says my family thinks I'm crazy nice. there so you think that's <laughs> cool let me know I'll take that and uh, I'll send you the link so you could pick up your own copy but for now it's it's limited edition that sweatshirt that you're wearing right now so if people want it they gotta hit me up nice. and let me know but but yeah Roman anything you want to plug Chad anything you want to plug before we go yeah I want to I want to just say like you know for anybody interested in looking up the mysteries of their backyard and the history of their town you know hit us up and we'll we'll like send you a little template or or some ideas too and once you get going it's it just starts flowing once you start digging in it, it really just starts coming so but one one piece of advice i'll give is look up the mason halls <laughs> Look up, look up the caves, look up the, uh, look up the old businesses from, from like the 1800s and then just follow the, the Freemason halls and you'll find some cool stuff and plug in weird people's names into Wikipedia. And yeah, just get down the rabbit hole y'all and, and fear not, but please, please feel feel to come on the show and to look up your towns and let's get this going we're trying to create a map of the entire country so that you can type in any town as you're on your way from the east coast to the west coast and listen to it as you pass through the town we are painting the pictures we are all painting the pictures baby yes so that's just want to give the people encouragement because we yes. want to talk to you guys yes we want to talk to anyone and don't feel like you have to be a podcaster you have to be an author or, or even like 
like you know some wacko like me or Roman. Like you could you could just be a normal person <laughs> who has a job and and you know come on the show and and talk to us and and hey like you know like I said 10, 15, 20, 30 slides is not a lot to do. If we, even if we only spend an hour talking to you, that's fine. I think you know as long as we we can cover as many places as we can and and spread this movement far and wide. Because yes, I want to make a map one day. And who knows, maybe the, a book will come out of this. I know Roman and I, when we talk on the phone, Roman's always pumped and amped about different projects he's working on. And Chad, as an, you know, you being an author, it's very cool to work with you here. It's a privilege. You know, you've definitely inspired Roman and I, and I hope you've inspired Tara and, and I hope you've inspired everybody who listens, you know, and, and yeah, I, I can certainly say you've inspired me because since we've podcasted, I've written two booklets that people can buy from my Kofi store. And yeah, it's just awesome to, to be a part of this. So Chad, please tell folks where they could go to support you and, and pick up your work and, and get inspired because you got a lot of awesome stuff about Michigan and Detroit. Thanks, Mark. Man, you guys humble me. I appreciate that. Yeah, I got a website, chadstemkey.com. Stemkey is S-T-U-E-M-K-E. I got a digital book over there, Stargate Detroit. Mostly just all my articles and a couple of videos. Just like Mark said, just enjoy the information. And I'm with Mark. Throw me this map we're going to make, man. It'll be like nothing that's ever been done before. There's never been another history project coming up with the kind of history, the kind of mysteries that we're talking about. Mm. So it's, it's going to be a one of a kind project, man. I can't wait to see the way, you know, the way it's developing. It's going to, it's sweet. It's sweet. And I, I thank you guys too. I love thank it. You. I love it. And, and yeah, I, I'm stoked to get some more experts on like yourself. I've been talking to a few. We actually just got in touch, thanks to Michael Wan, with a, a dude out in Pittsburgh who hopefully we can get on the show soon and talk about Pittsburgh. And and then Mike himself. We'd love to get Mike on the show now that we've got oh, yes, a sure. format together. It's definitely time. And then another interesting person that we, you know, listeners can look forward to hearing us interview is Steven Snyder. I recently had him on my show and he loves the the concept and would love to be a guest on this show. So yeah, a lot of very interesting topics soon to come, but Hey, let's not belay that cliffhanger folks. Tricentennial 300th. We're going to get into the heart Plaza. We're going to get into water Panthers, the portal, the dog man. This part two is going to be killer. Thank you, Chad, for being our tour guide here. And uh, listeners, thank you for listening. Support us any way you can. You can check out the show on Rockfin if you don't like the YouTube ads. Not that I think we have any ads on our YouTube channel, at least for the Esoteric America videos. And then you can also follow us on Instagram. Stay in touch. And then, of course, if you're watching on the YouTube or Rockfin and you're driving one day and you can't use YouTube, you can always tune into the show on our RSS feed, which can be found on any podcast app, Spotify, Apple, uh, all the places. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in, folks, and uh, get out there. Start exploring. Peace. Peace.